Our Lord Jesus Christ said, I will make you fishers of men. Usually people sit on the land and catch fish in the water. But he, being unique, he sat on the water and caught fish on the land. <laughs> this, where I'm standing, is usually called a pulpit. Do you know why it's called a pulpit? Because we pull them out of the pit. From <laughs> It's not as you think that preachers pull them out of the pit. I don't pull them out of the pit. But we all pull them out of it. All of you are in this. We are a church. We are a temple. You are the temple of God. You are the temple individually and you are the temple collectively. And it's your prayers, united with the prayers of everybody else, which are doing anything at all. The prayer is the greatest weapon we have. And so I'm relying on your prayers now. I'd like to remind you that um, we're in a battle. It's a fight. We're fighting for our lives. The Christian is a fight fighter. We fight the fight of faith. It's quite a different kind of faith. A fighting, I mean, quite different from the... Um, just like the fishing is different, so the fighting is different. This is the fight of faith, to try to live by faith continually. I want to read to you what it says in um, Ephesians chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 11, we are told to take up the whole armor of God. No, to put on the whole armor of God. And in, in verse 13, it says we are to take up the whole armor. So we are to put on and take up the whole armor and weapons of God. There's only one word in the Greek, but it means the armor and the weapons. And you could see very clearly that there it's not only armor to put on, but weapons to take up, because here's just a few things that it says. Take up truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer. Now, it's obvious that a sword is not a... Bit of, a, a bit of armor. It's, we're not just on a defensive fight, we're on an aggressive fight. So all these are not only armor, but they are weapons. And it's good to remember that each one of them, it seems rather a difficult passage to study. I, I thought it was very difficult for a long time. But then I saw that every one of them is Jesus Christ himself. So that he is our armor, he is our everything. So it simplifies things greatly. And then prayer. It says praying at all times. Well, this is not a good translation. Praying at every opportunity. It's a singular. All the time or at every opportunity. And uh, offering prayer and intercession for all the saints. Saints meaning, of course, people who are in the body of Christ, the Christians. And then it goes on, and pray for me that the right words may be given to me to make known with freedom of speech and boldness the mystery of the gospel. That is, that the good news is not only for Jews but for all the world. So you see that you have a great work to do. You have to be doing two things at once. You have to be listening 
and at the same time praying, giving and receiving at the same time. It's not at all a difficult thing to do. In the first epistle to Corinthians, chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, we have lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> it says, um, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I used to find that a very difficult passage. I thought I did know something, at least a little. But um, when I was one day sitting at a bus, the light dawned on me what this word means. If anyone thinks he knows anything, anything at all, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. I realized that everything is a gift of God. Every thought we have is a gift. Every pulse beat is his gift. That is why the Orthodox Church teaches rightly that all pride is a sin. Therefore we shouldn't be pride or proud of things. The right reaction to God is thankfulness. Many people say, I'm so proud of my boy, he got first in his maths or something. What he, they should say is, thank God that my boy was <laughs> <laughs> scraped through. <laughs> We are reminded that by Jesus that we cannot live on bread alone, on food alone, but on every word of God. And this is something we should remember during this time, that we need all the words of God. Now the, the great, the trouble is that people don't realize who they are, that we are spirits, invisible. I'm glad I'm invisible, that you don't see me, and I don't want you to. Well, <laughs> All you see is my shell, and I don't see you, but we must use our faith to pass through the visible into the invisible. A man is a spirit. He's made in the image of God. His spirit, he is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. But unfortunately, ever since the uh, fallout of paradise, man has tried to arrange his life, organize himself, by his mind. And now we've reached an all-time high when we begin in kindergarten and we go on through school and college and university all filling the mind, getting big heads and the tiny wizened little souls, spirits. <laughs> Poor little spirits that cannot even take care of themselves, far less be rulers as God made us to be. He made us to be kings and priests in every situation. And yet, instead of developing ourselves we are or allowing God to develop us we are um, developing our mind and so becoming proud which of course is a, a very poor state because God gives grace to the humble he rejects or opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble a proud person doesn't know what, what who he is a proud person doesn't know the first law of life which is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven to be poor in spirit means to know that I have nothing, I am nothing, and I can do nothing without Christ. And when you know this, then you'll begin to operate in the right way. 
then we know that when we are weak, then we are strong, then we begin to realize the paradoxes of life. And so it's important. Many people say it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you live a good life. This is the most senseless thing it's possible to say because everybody lives by faith. It doesn't matter who you are. You all live by faith, by love, and by desire. These three powers, everybody lives by. When you've been here a little bit, you'll want to go somewhere else. You will believe that there's a car waiting for you. You will eat your food because you believe in it. And so on. A little baby told not to touch the fire because it'll, it burns, doesn't believe it. The mother goes out to, to shop, do shopping. The little baby crawls to the fire and puts his hand in and howls. And the mother comes back and finds the baby howling and said, what are you doing? Well, do you think that the baby has changed its faith completely? <laughs> the baby will, won't, you cannot force it to put its hand in the fire because it's tasted, it's felt what a fire is like. And so we're all living by faith. Communists, godless, all live by faith and die when faith dies. But, of course, there is another kind of faith. There are two kinds of faith. There's natural faith and supernatural. They don't believe in the beautiful things, the wonderful things that we believe in. They don't believe in God. They don't believe that we are spirits and so on. But it's important to realize how important belief is. That faith is a very important thing. What you believe in is the important thing. The Gospel for the day reads like this. Jesus was in a house which was crowded. You have to picture an eastern house with a flat roof and um, probably it was, had four walls and in the center it was a court and it was crowded. And it says even the space in front of the door could hold no more. So it was just packed with people. It couldn't have been a very big crowd because around a house, I would think, but maybe a few hundreds anyway. And um, then we find that he was preaching the word to them. What's the word? Well, the word is what it says in Acts 20, 30, 27. St. Paul says, I have not shirked or shrunk from making known the whole now your, in your Bibles it says the counsel of God but the real word ruli in Greek doesn't mean a vague misty word it says the whole will and plan of God so the gospel is the whole will and plan the word is the whole will and plan of God of course it is the gospel it's also 1 Timothy 1 11 where it says the gospel, the good news or the gospel of the glory of the happy God or we can take um, Galatians 1.15 where it tells us that um, we read But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him 
among the nations, the non-Jewish nations, then of course tells what so it was him, he is the gospel himself. The gospel is just one person. But of course the gospel is also words. And the gospel is good news and it's good to know what the gospel is. Most people don't know what the gospel and the church as a whole has been has lost the centrality of the gospel for a long time. It's very seldom you hear the gospel preached. So it's essential that we should continually keep the gospel before our minds. Now the gospel is not the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is. It begins with the Beatitudes and then it goes on. Um, if, if anyone hits you on one jaw, turn the other jaw. And then it goes on and says, um, love your enemies and pray for them, do good to them. Do the, if anybody treats you badly, treat them well and so on. It says, um, so many, then it goes on, it ends with, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now nothing, nothing of this is good news, this is... <laughs> this is the, this is more like Mount Everest, who can climb it? <laughs> but that's exactly what it's for. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to make us realize we are bankrupt, that we have absolutely nothing in ourselves at all. We cannot do a thing. We are powerless without the Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of every believer. Now the Gospel is also not what many other people think. Many other people think is when you die something happens. You go to one of two places. You go to heaven or hell. I'm not saying there is not there is a heaven and hell, but they begin here. And the gospel is not good news about what's going to happen there. What there is no death. We believe that God has destroyed Jesus has destroyed death. He's trampled on death by death. Now supposing I have two eggs in my hand. They're both they're both white eggs. Here's one, here's the other. This egg is a hard boiled egg, and this is a soft egg, an uncooked egg. Or maybe a rotten egg. I break this hard-boiled egg. Does it change? No, it's still a hard-boiled egg. I break this rotten egg. Does it change? Well, maybe this is a good egg. Let's say this is a good egg, but it's uncooked. It's still an uncooked good egg. And that's exactly what's going to happen when your spirit separates from your body, which may be today, if a car runs into you, or your pulse stops beating, or your heart goes wrong. In other words, it's important to realize that if you're a hard-boiled egg when you come to the Jordan, cross the Jordan, you're going to be a hard-boiled egg over there. <laughs> Salvation is something that we receive. Gives you himself. You give him your life and he gives you his eternal divine life his heavenly life. And then you can say what is said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith or by the faith of the Son of God. I live by his faith first of all because he believed enough in me for me to die for me but I also believe by, by my faith, by the faith in him. Both are true, both are correct. I live by my faith, by his faith. So we, from now on we live a life of faith. And only as we live a life of faith and love and continually direct our desire, the whole 
earth, it says, has been corrupted by desire. It says lust in your Bibles, but it's wrong. It doesn't say lust, it says by desire. By misdirected desire. Our desires must be lifted up and directed. We're all praying all the time, but most of us pray to things. We want things. We must pray to God. and we, So we lift up our desire to God. We lift up our faith to God. Instead of believing in things, we believe in God. Everything must be lifted up to God. Now with this introduction we go on to the, thing. the word then is the gospel of the kingdom. And the new I and the new I, this I, the faith, is the eye of... By faith we are able to see God. And God wants us to see him. You may remember it also says that no man has ever seen God at any time. And a few other things. There are about five negative things. But the whole Bible is the book of seeing how to see God. And in... Um, John chapter 6 I think it is it says that this is the will of God that everyone who believe, who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life so to see the Son and believe in him that is to have eternal life and to know him is eternal life so it's absolutely essential that St. Irenaeus a great father of the church at very early times says the life of man is the vision of God that means not to see God is, to, is death if you are looking at God, God all the time, seeing God, you're being changed because we become like what we worship, what we see. But if you are seeing evil all the time, you're becoming like that. Whatever you see and worship, you become like, you reflect. So with this introduction, that it's the new eye and a new eye of faith which enables us to see through the visible to the invisible, we will go on to this little message for today. Some people came bringing a paralyzed man who was carried by four of them four men but as they couldn't come near him because of the crowd they broke up the roof where Jesus was when they had dug out an opening in the roof they lowered the bedding on which the paralyzed man was lying it was just a little bit of bedding not a bed a bedding then seeing their faith seeing their faith not the paralyzed man's faith. We don't know if he was conscious. We know nothing about him. He may not. He may have wanted to come. He may have been an eager, an eager, a person eager for healing. He may have wanted to get healed, but we don't know that at all. But we do know that Jesus. It says here. We are told here by the Spirit of God that seeing their faith, the faith of the, the four men who had carried him, then he said to the paralyzed man, "Child." child it's wonderful how all through the real if you read the original language child jesus continually calls people children doesn't matter how old they are there's a child we are all children to him child your sins have been forgiven forgiven you His, he told him he began by a very surprising thing this is the mystery of the gospel he saw that he needed forgiveness well everybody is a sinner we all need forgiveness there's no question about that he couldn't have been wrong but it's surprising to begin there but that is a good place to begin when anyone feels anything going wrong they should certainly begin with repenting and getting rid of their sins and that is what Jesus wanted him to do he didn't know how much but anyway the man was already conscious because he could talk to him and um, so he said your sins are forgiven you but then the scribes, these um, rulers, rulers of the Jews, began to argue, can, who can forgive sins but God? 
Well, there are two kinds of forgiveness. There is a kind of forgiveness which only God can do. Of course, only God can give you a new eye and a new eye. Only God can give you a new inner life, which is Christ himself in us. It's Christ in you who is the good news. Only he can give you the Holy Spirit in you. Only he can be the Holy Trinity inside you. He alone can change our spirit, soul and body into new creatures. But we can also forgive, but our kind of forgiveness is something quite different. All, all we do is to begin to love again. We begin to forget all that we saw, all that's dark and evil, and we begin to see God in the person. We begin to love God in the person. And we begin to love them into, back into health or life and, and into, the, into the kingdom. So they thought this was blasphemy. But Jesus realized, of course, that they couldn't see that anything was done. The Jews couldn't see a thing. They couldn't see whether forgiveness took place or not. But Jesus wanted everybody to know quite for certain that he was what he was thought to be. That he really was able to forgive sins. Not only to forgive sins, but to give people a new life. That he had come to give us a new life. He had come to give everybody new body, new spirit, a new inner life. Jesus immediately knew in his spirit that they were thinking these things themselves. And he said to them, why do you think these thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bedding and walk. So then, then he said it. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, rise and take up your bedding and go to your home. And immediately he rose and took up his bedding and walked out in front of everybody. You can imagine the shock that they all had seeing this man walking out, totally healed, a man who couldn't even walk, totally paralyzed, from total paralysis, total healing, instantaneously. This is what God can do to you and me now. He is here as he, as, as he is always. His promise is, I'm with you always, and he'll never change. And so I want to remind you that, it's, that everybody here is a needy person and that we can all touch him by faith. Faith is the hand which you put out to God to receive all the gifts of God. If you're not sure whether he wants you to be well or not, then I can tell you good news. I have good news for you. You can go read all through these four Gospels and try to find anyone who came to Jesus and he said, no, I'm not going to heal you. No, I want you to learn patience. No, I want you to learn this or that. Not a single case of it. Everybody who came to him, he healed. When a leper came and said, if you will, you can make me clean. What did he say? It is my will. Be clean. And that is his will for every one of us. His whole ministry was really a life of healing. St. Luke summed it all up. He said he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So his whole ministry can be called healing because healing and salvation are one word in the Greek original. One word. So when you get healing, you get salvation. When you get full healing, healing for spirit, soul and body. But healing is usually applied to the body. But Jesus gave a commission which included both. He said, preach the gospel, heal the sick. And he did not mean leave it all to the doctors or the nurses. We do thank God for the doctors and the nurses. They are doing wonderful work. And we cooperate with them. 
But that's not the only way of receiving healing. You can receive healing instantaneously by faith. Anybody who will develop his faith. But faith is a gift and it's given in German. All the gifts are given in German. We must develop our gifts. You can only, if what you don't use, you lose. You seem to lose even if you don't. They used to take ponies down into the pits. They pulled little trucks of coal in underground for four years. And when they brought the ponies up above the earth, what had happened? They were blind. They hadn't used their eyes and they went blind. And in the same way, many people are blind in faith. I've had people come to me and say, I've lost my faith. I'm sorry I've lost my faith. I say, I'm sorry, but you've got it. <laughs> What's happened to the sun today? Can you see the sun? No. Why? The clouds are hiding it. But when the clouds clear, the sky, the sun is still in the sky. In the same way, you have given, given the gift of faith. There are clouds hiding it. Clouds of fear, maybe. Clouds of unbelief, maybe. Clouds of sin, maybe. Many different clouds can hide your faith. But begin to use your faith. Begin to live by faith. Try to see in everybody that spirit to see whether the person is a loving spirit or a fearful spirit and so on.